electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on fast, crude collapsing, closing in on 80 bucks a barrel. The dollar surging to new multi-decade highs against the pound and the yen. And this as mortgage rates climb and housing wealth tumble. The ripple effect of the market straight ahead. Plus, TikTok's viral moment at Silicon Valley's biggest annual conference code. Alphabet, Meta, Snap, and more obsessed with the Chinese tech giant, even though they're not even there. We'll go inside this infatuation coming up. And later, Apple's big reveals an electric move higher into Neo and Mickey D's sweet treat comeback from the 80s. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market Site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Guy Dami, and Dan Nathan. And we start off at the Greenback Rally, 20 years in the making. The dollar index hitting its highest level since June 2002 today against the Japanese yen and its 24-year highs versus the British pound, its best level since 1985. Stock markets today at least applauding King Dollar. Nasdaq snapping a seven-day losing streak. The S&P and Dow gaining ground as well. All three indices going positive for the week. But what will the dollar gains mean for the markets and the economy in the longer term? Guy. You know that my hi. Hi. We talk about it all the time, the Faith Hill song, that wrecking ball song that we like so much. That's what the Faith U.S. Hill. dollar struck. Faith Hill, right? Isn't that I, who it sings I, I, it? I really hope she watches it's a different show. show. I, I, I guarantee she, I know she watches it with her husband, Billy Bob Thornton. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, a stronger dollar, as much as it's great for the citizens of this country, it's not great for multinationals. I don't think it's particularly great for the market. Tim talks about it all the time. The relief rally we saw today was exactly that. We were oversold. Tim mentioned that last night. It makes sense. Dan's going to show us a chart that illustrates exactly that. But I think it'll be short-lived. Huge bounce in the HYG, huge sell-off in the VIX, all great things for today. I just don't think it's all that lasting. Well, we were down 10 or 14 days since that mid-August high, and we talked about that the Powell move was 7%, but it's been almost 10% straight down. I think we had a 25 count on a nine-day RSI, folks. Anything below 30, uh, 25 was as oversold as we've been since those June lows. But again, getting back to the dollar, typically, you do not want to see the dollar rallying at a moment like this. It's typically a sign of a flight to quality. In this case, it's also uh, defining the difference and the differential, really, between our central bank and what's been going on around the world. Now, the ECB uh, is certainly stepping it up. The BOC stepped it up to 75 bips last night. That's the Bank of Canada. And and we do believe that every other central bank other than the BOJ, that's the Bank of Japan, is is at least moving aggressively. But seeing the dollar here, and we, we, we quote these stats all the times in terms of what it means for S&P earnings or the influence or the drag on earnings, uh, either whether you have a currency conversion or just when American goods become that much more expensive. But 40 percent market weighted of S&P earnings are international or 29 percent outright. And, and those are big numbers at a time when when you have this. And we've been hearing from it. Second quarter, though, the dollar impact was something we heard from companies. Uh, it is something I think we're going to hear more of. I mean, this is really just indicative of the, fact, of the fact that the U.S. is the best house in a bad neighborhood at this point. The dollar. It's strength. the best house in a bad neighborhood. But what everything that Tim just said, what is going to change out of any of those things? Probably nothing. What's the one good thing that came of this inverse inversely related to crude? Crude goes down, dollar goes up, opposite is still, is still in effect. I would think that you're going to see 
maybe a trading event here where you can sell the dollar, mm -hmm. but ultimately higher dollar, lower crude. Guy, do yeah. you live in the best house in a bad neighborhood? Just kidding. Uh, you know, it's a great question. <laughs> yeah. I haven't really thought about it, to be honest Probably with you. not. I mean, it's just nice to have a roof over my head. Yeah, it's so nice. A nice meal, a cup of coffee a in the morning. Blankie. warm blanket. warm blanket. Feety pajamas. Speaking of feety pajamas, Dan Nathan, uh, what did you make of the, of the equity rally and the, and the dollar strength? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, listen, I think these guys kind of encapsulated it pretty well. On a day like today, when you see the dollar come off, you see crude oil come off, you have that comment from Brainerd. You know, it kind of sets up after we've had this 10 percent decline from those mid-August highs um, that things are a little bit, you know, they were kind of like a coiled spring. We were talking about it on our 1230 call. I shot you over a chart of the S&P 500. And if you drew a line from those June lows, you attach it to the July low and you see where we just just kind of made a low yesterday and we were holding on for dear life, that's where we bounced here. Obviously, we've been focused on that downtrend that's been in place in the S&P since the start of January. So to, to, to uh, I think uh, Steve just said it, maybe we have a little trading opportunity here in the equity market here. We have a bounce off of that uptrend that is a short-term uptrend. And listen, a lot of people are looking at the same lines, people. You know, it's not like we're like reinventing the wheel here or anything like that. But down 10% in a couple of weeks was a big move. We saw what happened to the markets when we had that sort of move back in mid-June, we had a pretty sharp rally for more than a month and a half or so. I don't think we get back to the August highs anytime soon. For all these reasons that these guys just mentioned, I think as we get into the end of Q3, and I said this last night, I think all of these things are going to be weighing on corporate earnings. And I think the realization that Q3 is going to lead to a Q4 guide down mm -hmm. and that 2023 estimates for S&P earnings are too high, I think that's when stocks go back and retest those lows that we just made. I mean, are analysts forecasting a 20-year high in the Dixie? What did Microsoft warn on, right, for Q2 when they had that intra-quarter warning? It was FX. Yes, only. It was only FX. Um, and so, you know, you got to think that it could be happening again here. The dollar continues to grind higher from that point, and right. it is a grind. And I don't – listen, I understand there are going to be trading opportunities. I hear what Steve is saying. But I think the trajectory is still higher. And we don't even mention dollar yuan, which we should, because as I've said a number of times, go back to August 2015, the summer of 2015, when the Chinese – devalued their currency and look what happened to our equity markets in the months in the months in the, in the, that came from that and we're right at that vantage point now in terms of seven being the magic number and they're trying what they can do to keep it from getting there yet it's getting there on its own i don't think that's what happens if that's the reason or the catalyst for the fed to actually maybe not pivot we've talked about this that we don't think he's going to pivot but if he flattens out what happens if he's more worried about the rest of the world than here and it makes him blink. Well, and, and the dollar, it certainly is tightening financial conditions with this kind of strength. So it's, right. it's actually helping the Fed out a little bit. I, part of this is also just, the, as we talk about so, in so many other asset classes, the velocity of this move. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the dollar index uh, in May of 21, so 15 months ago, 16 months ago, was around 88. And it, that, that's a major move. Uh, you know, back to where we are. Dan mentioned it. I think Guy's mentioned it. I'm sure Steve's saying this. Uh, 
we have a pathway into a CPI number, though, next week, where being as radically oversold as we have been, that actually, and we're going to see, I believe, and look at gas prices that are going to deliver you that headline uh, lower CPI number. It may not change the core that much, but it, it gives an opportunity for equity markets to rally. And in fact, we then have another week or so into a Fed meeting. And I just think based upon these oversold conditions, and that's really how we've been doing this. It's been more about tactically, because there's nothing here. Uh, I know Tony Dwyer is going to come on. We're going to talk about this. So uh, we should hear from him. But the things that make you bullish are not the things we're getting here. Right. Um, Fed pivot. I want to just go back to that for mm-hmm. a second. What does that mean even anymore? Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, Fed pivot used to be a, a reversal in its stance. But a Fed Doesn't pivot mean now, it feels like it could just be 50 basis points instead of 75 or 75 followed by 25. I think I mean, that's exactly what it means. I don't think it means switching gears anymore. I don't think okay. it means turning around to cutting rates. I think it means just keeping it a 50 verse or 50 and then 25 and then 25 so forever. Hawkish. Now, I understand that. And I think we've become conditioned to believe that the Fed is going to somehow bail out the market. I don't think the market's in their purview anymore. It will be at a certain point, but I think we're at least probably six or seven hundred S&P points away from that. So in the interim, what they're going to fight is what they've been fighting since November, and that's inflation. And I think the market understood that at the Jackson Hole speech. Yeah. Obviously, today's a bit of an outlier, but I think it will continue to understand that going yeah. forward. Recent com- comments from Bullard, Dan, recent comments from Brainerd today, all sort of <laughs> underscoring this notion that the Fed will not blink, that the Fed, it's, it's better to go too far and just to get them over with at, at, in terms of front-loading as opposed to waiting and dragging this on into next year. That's what Bullard said specifically. Yeah, I, listen, Mel, I, I think there is a scenario, like these guys just said, if the inflation readings really do cool and we do see what we, you know, look at what's happening crude oil here just in the last, you know, couple weeks or so. I mean, there's a lot of things, but I guess the thing that we can't kind of get by is all of the geopolitical stuff. The fact that China is still in COVID lockdowns, the fact that there is a shooting war with massive disruption to European, um, you know, oil supplies and energy supplies and natural gas supplies. So the the idea that we are not going to see a weakening consumer continually in, I, I think, in China and obviously in Europe and what that means for multinationals at a time where, again, going back to the dollar, where the dollar is quarter over quarter much higher. That's the thing that continues to weigh, I think, on equity valuations here, despite the fact that some of the Fed and the fighting of inflation, they're maybe going to be successful. You know, I mean, so I don't know. I, I just think, listen, again, we might rally back to that 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 downtrend that looks like, I don't know, 4150, 4200 or something like that. And then it will be the moment of truth um, at that point for equities. All right. Let's get more on the dollar's impact in the markets with Tony Dwyer, chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, good to see you. Hey, Mel. Great to see you. Do you think the dollar strength is going to be an, a factor in Q3, Q4? You know, I think today was all about a macro counter trend trade. And you guys have talked about it pretty well um, on the opening. The dollar, at the same time, stocks bounced, the dollar weakened, commodities got hit, oil got hit, um, and bond yields, long bond yields started coming down. So it just looked to me like everything got a little bit too extreme. And it was a little bit of a reversal of that, Mel. So you said about, you said you're in the notes at least about a Fed pivot that this could happen. And I'm wondering, we were just discussing what that means now. I feel like it's lost all meaning. <laughs> what, I, in your view, is a Fed pivot? It's a soft pivot. It's a maybe pivot. What kind of pivot? No, I, I think that you need an action. So, 
okay, let's put aside the Fed. I'll talk about that in a second. But I can't. One of the reasons that I didn't chase that momentum move off of the low into the August peak, even with such great momentum and tape data, was the fact that I couldn't find a major market low, Mel, that didn't have the two-year note yield already trending lower from peak and the Fed um, clearly stating that they were pivoting. And I think that's really what it looks about. I don't I don't think maybe if you do 50 versus 75, you can get a, a counter trend rally like we did with uh, the August rally, the summer rally. But ultimately, you really have to have. And here's the reason. There's a fundamental reason, Mel, that's really important. The reason that when the Fed pivots, it allows investors to look through the coming economic weakness because it has a stimulative effect when you look to six, 12, six months to 12 months down the road. Tony, so the Fed pivoting is certainly going to be on most people's checklists for what are the things that make you turn bullish. Um, but talk about things that are a little bit more here and now or some things that might be a little bit more granular, whether it's market breadth, whether it's um, some different parts of either the inflation chain, not necessarily even headline inflation. What do you need to see? And, and again, for someone who's been very tactical in here, um, talk about that in terms of timelines. Sure, Timmy, thanks. Um, so what caused us to write a note about a bounce yesterday was that yet yesterday was the seventh consecutive day where you had more than 90% of the S&P components trading below their 10-day th moving average. When I go back and look at the last 32 years since 1990, I've only seen that twice. Once was in the swoon of 2011 and, and August of 2011, and the other was in the swoon of October of 2008. Neither one of those proved to be the low, but it it was extreme. It, it caused it, what we saw today, a nice a tinder that was ready for an oversold bounce. So there's that on the tactical side. And on the fundamental side, I think we're looking at the wrong thing. Inflation already has peaked. The CPI came down. The core PCEs come down three or four months in a row. It's the unemployment rate. I think what causes the ultimate Fed pivot is when you have the inflation data coming in like, like it is and everybody's talking about but what if you get a spike of a half a percent in the unemployment rate over the coming few months? And that's exactly what is happening. I think I, would, I said on the last time on the show where the NFIB hiring plans index, which is small business hiring plans, has deteriorated to a degree that suggests a pretty meaningful up move in the, in the um, unemployment rate by year end. Tony, $220 worth of earnings is your forecast. What's the right multiple? 18 multiple, market multiple, it gets us exactly where we are today. 16 multiple, I can do that math. That's 440 points in the S&P lower. What are your thoughts on that? Guy, you know, I, I don't have a target. I think it's kind of one of those made-for-TV things where we, you know, we all of a sudden come out with a target, it beats our target, so we raise our target. So, so let's look at the history. And the history shows that when the core PCE trades between 3 and 4%, which is where I think most people and myself forecasted for 2023, your average multiple is about 16 and a half times. So if you want to you know, it, you go by, it always goes by core inflation because that's what ultimately drives the bond market. When you look at it above, um, when a, above 4%, it's about 13 and a half. Um, and when it's uh, between one and 3%, it's 19. So it really depends on core inflation. The current consensus call that I think is right means it should be somewhere between 16 and 17, Guy. Tony, great to see you. Thank you. Awesome to see you. Thanks, Mel. Tony Dwyer. All right. So Tony is sector neutral. Basically, he doesn't recommend any S&P sectors right now. Dan, if we see this sort of mini rally back to that downtrend, which sectors lead us there? 
Yeah, well, I think it's tech. I think it's tech that's been beaten up here. You know, there have been some groups that like are deemed defensive that have acted pretty well here. Obviously, there was a lot of crowding in energy stocks, so I continue to think that they would be weak. I understand that the fundamentals are probably a lot better for these companies um, going forward, and some of the geopolitical things will keep um, the pedal on the metal. I want to keep an eye on financials here because Tim brought this up yesterday. I think the idea of some sort of defaults that, that could start in Europe, given the situation over there. We know that the uh, credit situation or the housing situation over in China is really bad. Let's see how the banks can rally here. That's the one I'm going to keep a very close eye on. I, I'm constructive after this, after these next few months. I'm constructive going into year end after the midterm elections. I'm not constructive now because the last person to say they're going to pivot is Powell. I think you have to call this a pace pivot versus an actual pivot. A what pivot? A pace pivot. A pace we just pivot? need that pace of, of rate, rate increases oh, okay. to slow down. So if we see that, that's not the real pivot, but that's the pivot we're going to get now. See, I always assume that when I hear a term that I don't understand, it's some, some like sports well, metaphor or you know, like something Look, on this music, desk, we are coining terms right, right and Pace left. pivot. Uh, but the pace pivot makes sense to me. And yes. back to the multiple that Guy brought up with Tony and Tony Ford. Over the last 15 years, the S&P forward P.E. multiple has been 15.8. It's 17 now. Should we be trading at a premium forward multiple at a time when there's a lot of things that I think have yet to play out? So it just tells you where if we get back to even normalize that pace pivot. pivot. Thank um, you. One more P guy. We could get some really good alliteration. Yeah. No, I, without P-P question. not bad either. I'm tap- no, it's, it's powerful. Is catch- it's powerful, catchy. isn't it? <laughs> it's a powerful pace oh. pivot. There's your other P. You know, in races back in the day, they were, in, in longer races, they would put somebody in to, to have the pace. Right. And that person would then fall off the pace later in the race. That's one of those more you know that NBC is so fond of. We should have the graphics ready to fire. Do, 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 but we don't, unfortunately. The rainbow. Yeah, the rainbow. More you can you imagine know. it. Sorry. Um, we've got an earnings alert for you on GameStop shares on the move after hours. Uh, and uh, it announced results and also a partnership with FTX. The partnership intended to introduce more GameStop customers to the crypto exchange's marketplace for digital assets. GameStop, of course, introduced a wallet for crypto and NFTs earlier this year. It is up 10.4%. Well, we've seen this movie before. Let's oh, yeah. sprinkle some crypto headlines and a few other things and mention Bitcoin. And, and, and again, this is a company that I've been amazed at, at how long it's even held some of those meme stock bounces. But that's another one of these things, by the way. To get this market back to a place where we can rally, we've got to get rid of this kind of speculation. And I, you know, to me, I'm not falling for this headline. I mean, Michael Burry was just tweeting yeah. about that today, you know, about the, the collapse of two SPAC ETFs, meme stocks getting crushed or maybe almost crushed because obviously they're not permanently crushed. And then he lets you connect the dots as to what's next. And this, that's the same Michael Burry, by the way, that last summer talked about shorting the ARK ETF literally yeah. to the day that it topped out. So typically he's very early. In that case, he was right. And, you know, you can, dis, you can basically discount him, but do it at your own peril because he's been very right about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Coming up, the crude crush continues. Oil hitting its lowest level since January. So where does the energy trade head next? we got the details ahead. Plus, the latest out of this year's Code Conference, our own Dan Nathan is on the ground. He'll tell us why regulation and content moderation are big buzzwords there. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at oil prices today. Both the WTI, West, West Texas Intermediate, and Brent crude falling more than 5%, hitting their lowest levels since January. WTI coming within a whisper of falling below the $80 a barrel mark. The drop taking a toll on the energy stocks, the only S&P sector in the red today. The group accounting for 10 of the 11 worst performing names today. Steve, what was your... 65. Yeah. At the time, it was jaw-dropping. Mm. Now, not yeah. so much. It's, it's not. And actually, when I look at the chart on it, there is some support around the $80 level. That's November, October, November of 2021. So you could get a little bit of stability here. But ultimately, I think the path for crude is lower. Mm-hmm. And I might not need till December to hit my $65 mark. Oh, so that's a new prediction within a prediction. What's, what it, it, what's interesting is the outperformance of energy equities relative to the underlying. And if you look actually at the XLE, yes, it's pulled back, but relative to the market, it's actually been flat to the S&P even during a very difficult period. And that's because we just got through a second quarter earnings period where most of these companies, including the biggest like an Exxon, talked about where uh, they are paying divs roughly around 45 bucks a barrel and where they are relative to the strip, where they are relative to also debt targets and repayment and buybacks. And I think these are things that we echo all the time, which is I just believe these energy companies are run differently. Yeah. I also don't see anything that changes the trajectory of, of, of where we are in supply dynamics. I, I understand demand. I understand that, that ultimately is what drives it and that supply disruption during the last 20 years only in a handful of times has actually been sustainable. It's sustainable to me here. Yeah, they have so much less leverage on the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. The balance sheets are, are amazing now, and that's what they've done over the past few years. Tim talked about that last year. I mean, these companies have been forced yeah. to have better balance right. sheets. ESG, a number of different things, forced their hand. Crude going to minus 39 a barrel in the front month, whenever that April was, forced their hand, which makes these much better companies. And to Tim's point again, look at the stocks say, understand that the broader market did well. They didn't crater. Steve's had a great call. Dan has had a great call. But I'll say again, I think the market, the commodity market, is front-running demand destruction that we haven't seen yet. Now, maybe it's coming. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But they're front-running something that hasn't happened yet. We'll see if they get it. Also doing this with the dollar, again, at all-time highs. This is typically a horrible environment for oil to do anything. And so it's not surprising on some level that that's a headwind. But if we see a recession, Steve, but we have very tight supply because of what is going on in Ukraine, how does that counterbalance The the problem, though, is is what what, uh, Guy and Tim were just saying. I I I don't think you're really seeing the geopolitical events even affect it right now. You have everything that's in the headlines should be a tailwind to the price of crude. So I would say a recession probably is the is the nail that breaks the back of the of the bear in this market. I, I would think that the closer we get to this, you're going to see a bounce in crude. I think that bounce technically is going to happen around sixty five dollars. There is a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. 
Cracking the Code. Dan Nathan is bringing us the latest out of this year's Code Conference. And one social app is dominating the conversation. What it means for big tech next. Plus, housing on its heels. Mortgage demand dropping as interest rates keep climbing. So is it time to close the doors on the home building trade? The details ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. TikTok on everyone's lips at the Code Conference this year, even though the Chinese tech company isn't even at the event. Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai admitting in his talk last night that the viral video platform poses a competitive threat to big tech. Snap, Meta, Google, Twitter up today, but all down year to date. Dan Nathan's at the Code Conference. Dan, what are you hearing? I mean, you've been talking about this and, and you know, the fact that it could be a national security threat as well. If, if the U.S. actually goes through with a, with a ban, poof, it's gone. Tech would rejoice. Yeah. No doubt about it. If you think about it, the other key themes here are content moderation and regulation. And that's some place where it's really hard to kind of pigeonhole TikTok. And I think that's why a lot of competitors that are U.S. based here are talking about it. I will tell you just talking with investors. I mean, it's also one of those things that people are trying to get their arms around of just how much of the attention of U.S. users is it really capturing and what it's doing, let's say, to their kind of um, their ad loads and that sort of thing. So that is a huge huge topic of conversation right now, and no one really has an answer for it. We obviously know that Facebook has liked to copy a lot of that. The Kardashians don't really love Reels. I'll just mention this. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but Facebook or Meta can't get out of its own way. It really was up 1% today, underperforming the NASDAQ, and that seems to be one very near its 52-week lows, down a whole heck of a lot, you know, year over year, down more than 50%, and that one seems to be squarely the focus of those who think that TikTok is a big threat. Evan Spiegel is talking tonight, as I understand it. Targets are very aggressive. I mean, yeah. revenue growth at 20% by the end of next year. Yeah, so the street was basically at 15% revenue growth, and they want to grow users. This is the big one here, by 30% by the end of next year. They want to make up um, some of that advertising, the differential between the consensus with AR-based advertising. That is broken by The Verge here today. That's a really interesting story, especially when you think back to just last week where they announced all of the restructurings. They're going to cut 20% of their workforce. That's a tough road to hoe when you think about doing all of that with far fewer employees, but maybe this increased focus um, is one of the things. And it will be really interesting to see Kara Swisher, who will be interviewing Evan Spiegel, she thinks he's a bit of a product genius. So if there's any tricks up his sleeves as it relates to new products that might be, you know, dragging some of these users back from TikTok or more time spent on Snap, maybe that's the answer. All right, for more on this and Apple's far out product launch, launch let's bring in Loop Ventures' Gene Munster. Gene, great to see you. Um, if TikTok went away for whatever reason, a U.S. ban or whatnot, would a lot of tech's problems be solved? Meta certainly wouldn't. I agree with Dan. This is going to be one hot political topic going in the next presidential race. 
the drift between China and the U.S. continues. And it is, to me, surprising that TikTok is still allowed in the U.S. Of course, uh, uh, China does not allow Facebook or Meta or Instagram in China for, for the simple reason they don't want uh, people in the U.S. influencing how Chinese people think. It uh, strikes my attention that why would uh, the U.S. government want China to have that ability? So I think this is not about tracking user data and what some teenager video they're watching. This is about essentially a straight line into uh, kind of the, the greater thinking around uh, U.S. Uh, people on TikTok. And I think it's ultimately going to get banned. And I think it's going to be a big rejoice moment uh, for Meta. If you're going to ask me to put the probability that it gets banned, it's high. I think it's 70, 80 percent. Uh, the mm. timing on it, I think it's one or two years away. Hey, Gene, so so we know TikTok is the app for everything, certainly for younger folks. But but how about Instagram? Because if I'm 12 to 16 or 17 years old, I'm probably getting my news feeds. I'm probably getting, you know, Instagram seemingly actually even ahead of TikTok uh, and then into YouTube. So wh why is is Meta or Facebook uh, not performing here? Talk about this. And again, don't talk. We I think we all universally say we don't necessarily love the company. Sometimes you love the stock. Sometimes you don't. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, you know, I would say that those are my exact thoughts is that this is one that I really struggle with. I think that their products, I, I don't think that they make the world a better place. I think Apple's products make the world a better place. I don't think Meta does. I think that there's been an overreaction in the stock with Meta relative to the competitive threat to TikTok. I just outlined why I think that ultimately that that gets banned. But I think what's most important is that the reach that uh, Meta has with all of its properties, basically 40% of the global internet audience uses their products on a daily basis. It's a big audience. And I think that all the issues that they've had and uh, will will still work through, I think that ultimately that network is a big deal. One other piece is just one of my, uh, I guess, takeaways from that Marathon Joe Rogan podcast from Zuckerberg last week. Zuckerberg's a fighter. And I uh, I think that that's one thing just to keep in mind. If you look at big tech, He's one of the few uh, standing founders. So, Tim, when I put it together, it is uh, a reluctant company uh, that we own, but we do think that this uh, stock is going to uh, perform relatively well in the weeks and quarters ahead. Well, let's be clear, Gene. He's standing because he has a special class of stock, which allows him to stand no matter what. Um, but putting that aside, I want to get your quick take on Apple and its product launches today. They just make it look easy, Melissa, and I think that the, there's probably some narrative around innovation versus incremental updates, and I think that these incremental updates uh, have innovation in it. And as I think about the product, I think that this will ultimately provide upside to the street's 5% revenue for next year. I think that there's an also the biggest takeaway from me today, the, the features were generally as expected. The satellite thing, I put a 40% chance for that happening, and that ultimately came in. But the biggest surprise was in pricing. I had predicted that two of the four new iPhones would have lower pricing. In fact, they maintain their pricing. And in this environment, maintaining pricing is a price cut. And I think that potential iPhone buyers are going to recognize that and appreciate that from Apple. And it's going to beg a question about can they continue to maintain margins in this pricing environment while maintaining uh, or this cost environment while maintaining those pricing. And if you're curious is that if you look at the June quarter of 21 versus 22, the margins were exactly the same, 43%. And that's uh, this underneath the surface. One of the many things that make this an incredible company is their ability to continue to uh, provide value to consumers and still provide value to investors at the same time. And I think 
that uh, key takeaway gets lost, I think, in people debating features on a day like today. Gene, thank you. Great to get your take. Thank you. Gene Munster, Loop Ventures. Um, Apple, sticking to 43% on margin, that's, in this environment, that's a feat. Tremendous. I mean, there's nothing wrong with what they've done. Yeah. The stock has been the way, it's been interesting how the stock has traded. Moved from 129 to 174. Carter came on the show with one of those Tuesday nights and basically said sell everything. That was prescient because traded down to 153 and changed today. The question is, is today's move to the downside and subsequent bounce enough to get you bullish again? I'm not convinced of that. But it's certainly interesting. But the beta trade to me, and Dan has been on this, mm-hmm. that August 30th capitulation bottom, in my opinion, in Snap on big volume might have been your opportunity to get long next stock and be long it right here. So a couple of things. So, Guy, you know this as a trader. What always happens with these trades is they upset the most amount of people at any given point. Everyone mm-hmm. thinks that after the Apple event, that Apple stock is going to fall off a cliff. I think Apple stock is actually going to rally for all the reasons that you just said, 175 to 155. If it goes back to 165, it's a tremendous victory for the bulls. Meta, down near that pandemic low, 140. This is make or break for Meta. If, if Meta breaks down, and it's been trying to build a base here, so I agree with Dan, it's done nothing. They don't know who they are, and they're spending a ton of money to try to figure it out. If it breaks here, this thing is lights out. Dan, what do you think? If, if TikTok were announced tomorrow that, that it's banned in the United States, how much does that mean for a meta? How much does that mean for an alphabet? Oh, I, I think it's huge for meta. I, I mean, I think it changes the whole narrative about meta. Mm-hmm. I think they can actually take their foot off the, the metaverse sort of pedal. But I also think it's the sort of thing where Snap, and I guess I'm talking my book here, I'm long the stock. Um, I think Snap is up easily 50% on that announcement right there. When you think about that revenue base and you think about how much a leaner company this is now. And I also like the fact, you know, Gene just said that Zuckerberg's a fighter. We all saw the video. We know that he's tough. Um, but let me tell you something, okay? Like, if this this company is really willing to put up those sorts of expectations by the end of next year, given the cuts that they just made. I like that. They have nothing to lose here. And I said this, I think, a couple weeks ago. I think your risk is like two down, but like five or six up in the snap here. So, again, that's the one I want to play. Yeah, he's probably right. I'll just say this. This entire conversation is all predicated on what your market view is. And, and look, Apple is not moving higher if the market's moving lower. And, and Snap is a long-duration asset that's not making money and is a high multiple tech stock that's been getting destroyed. So this is the issue here. And tech, uh, with their outperformance, is why we show relative performance charts of, say, semiconductors to the S&P or the triple Qs to the S&P, because those breakdowns are where we are in the market right now. Coming up, mortgage meltdown demand dropping as interest rates surge back to June highs. We'll home in on the housing market next. Plus, is NEO the one? Shares of the EV maker jumping despite a weak earnings report. We're kicking the tires on this one when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. What a difference a year makes. One year ago, mortgage rates were just below 3%. And today, they're almost double that in add-on $400,000 home. Borrowers are paying almost $700 $700 more a month than they did last year. And a new wrinkle here, the value of people's homes is actually starting to go down. 
Let's get to Diana Olick with all the details. Diana. Well, Melissa, you're seeing refi demand way down because there are about 12 people left who have rates under 6%, like you said, and you're seeing home buyer mortgage demand down because higher rates are pricing buyers out. And that is finally having an impact on prices, which dropped 0.77% from June to July, according to Black Knight. That might not sound like a lot, but it was the first monthly price drop in over two years. Roughly 85% of major markets have seen prices come off their peaks through July, with one-third coming down more than 1% and about 1 in 10 falling by 4% or more. So after big price gains, some homeowners are now losing some housing wealth. So-called tappable equity, which is the amount you can borrow and still keep 20% equity in the property, hit its 10th straight quarterly record high in Q2 of this year at $11.5 trillion. But May was likely the peak. Total tappable equity is now down 5% so far since May, and Q3 will show a more sizable decline. The biggest losses are, of course, where prices were the highest in the West, like San Jose, Seattle, San Diego, San Francisco, and L.A. But I do want to make this clear. This is nothing like the Great Recession when home prices crashed dramatically and millions of borrowers went to, into foreclosure. Melissa, nothing like that. The loans are very different from what oh, was yeah. made, but we're also in a different just supply dynamic, right? Yes. I mean, the loans are much more responsible. People have to actually be able to afford the payments the way they're underwritten today. And yes, there is still strong demand in the market and low supply, which will keep a floor under prices. All right, Diana, thank you. Diana Olick. What do you do with home builders, Steve? Well, you just said it's a supply demand issue. How many people bought a second home during the pandemic? Right. How many people are still holding that second home and they're watching their payment double? Mm -hmm. So you haven't seen the hurt yet until you really see the pain when rates rise. Then you'll see a supply really affected when you see these houses being put on the market for sale. Does this all not affect Home Depot or Lowe's? It, it does. Um, and I think certainly home equity uh, values yeah. and what is tappable. Uh, ultimately, I, I just think you have a dynamic here with home improvement where people are actually, if they're not moving around, they actually may throw more money back in their homes. But Home Depot uh, and Lowe's, Home Depot more than Lowe's, uh, the resiliency of the professional business has been part of the margin expansion of the company, part of why it's been trading at a premium. Lowe's trades in a market multiple, I think, more attractive than Home Depot here. These are names. Home Depot at 250 though, which we're a long way away. But that's the level you started nibbling at back at those June lows. That's the level to watch. You throw money back into your home unless you're throwing money into the grocery store right. instead. That's, I mean, I think that's the problem. I mean, food prices, sure. gas prices may come down. Food prices are still elevated. People, you know, companies are not rolling back no. the price increase on Doritos, just for an example, because commodity costs have come down. You see, you say Doritos, like you, you've never had a Dorito in your life. Yes, I have. You like Doritos? Cool Ranch. Cool Ranch. <laughs> wow. That's, 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 that's the, probably the worst flavor. Uh, thank is you, it? Tim. No, I mean, it is. No, it, I like the original. I, like, I, I shouldn't Actually, have said I've never that. met a Dorito I haven't liked. That was mean-spirited by <laughs> so me. Anyway. Again, more you know. So I'm going to try to connect a few dots here, which is typically something I do. It fails miserably, but I'll give it an attempt here. I think it's just as easy as trying to figure out where interest rates are going. So look at the low of TLT today. Look at the bounce in TLT. Pretty much the same low we made in the fall of 18. I think TLT goes higher from here, which means interest rates go lower from here, which means a name like DHI, which I happen to think is the best home builder, which traded up to 110 down to 60, now 72. You can buy, especially if you think rates are headed lower, which I do. All right, let's stick with the housing trade. RH on deck to report earnings after the bell tomorrow. It's been a rough year for the retailer, down nearly 52%, but options traders could be betting on a restoration mm. in the stock. Mike's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Right now, the options market 
is implying a move of about 9.5%. That's in line with the about 9% that the company has averaged over the last eight reported quarters. Calls out pace puts by about 2 to 1 on double the average daily call volume. I was looking at the September 23rd 290 strike calls. Those were being purchased for just over 4 bucks. Buyers of those calls are betting that RH can rally 15% or so by two weeks from Friday. All right. Thanks for that, Mike Coe. For more Options Action, tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, fall may be around the corner, but crypto winter is staying put. We'll dig into Bitcoin's rough run next. But first, shares of NEO jumping in today's session despite weak earnings. So what had investors plugging in? We'll break it down next when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Neo topping the tape today. Shares reversing early losses even after reporting a bigger than expected loss amid COVID lockdowns in China. Guidance for the current quarter also falling short of estimates and now expects to deliver 32,000 vehicles in Q3. Guy, this is the N in your dawn trade. Yeah, you say that with such glee because none of them have been particularly good. I think Neo was a $28 (laughs) stock, whereas it's 17 and change. I thought by now Neo would be well north of 30. Obviously, it's not. But, you know, record deliveries, again, they're expecting it. I know they took down guidance, but service stations, they have all different types of vertically integrated stations in China. They're doing everything correctly except the stock price. I think it's too cheap here. Obviously, lockdown in China doesn't help. But the fact that it rallied today on the back of that understanding the broader market rallied is a good sign. But it's still, I don't want to say a state company, but it's backed effectively by the state. I mean, China is really backing EVs in terms of its encouragements of its residents to buy EVs. And NIO is a Chinese company. So owning national champion companies at times works until until it doesn't, especially when it turns into margin and there's there's politics involved. To me, you want to own an EV company. uh, We just got the numbers from Ford. I mean, their EV fleet, I realize these numbers and it's a lower base, up four fourfold from where it was a year ago. Again, the number two EV player in the U.S. now, and I think there's more momentum behind that and a much better valuation with a company that I can trust. Coming up, there is a pastry party happening at McDonald's. The Golden Arch is kicking it old school with their newest offering, but is this enough for investors to sink their teeth into this trade? Got the details next, but first, Bitcoin putting the cry in crypto, sinking to its lows not seen since mid-June. Will the brutal run continue? Stick around. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a cruel summer for Bitcoin. Prices falling to their lowest level since mid-June today, at one point dropping below $19,000. The total market cap for all crypto fell back below a trillion dollars. So as we prepare for fall, is Bitcoin going to be stuck in this cold, long winter? Dan, what do you think? Well, it feels like it. You know, Tim just mentioned something that long duration, unprofitable uh, risk assets have not performed well in this environment. And that clearly is the case for Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I'll just say this, you know, with Bitcoin at you know, less than 400 billion, it's trading like Facebook's trading for all intents and purposes. So how does the narrative change? Ethereum, we know that they have this merge coming uh, later this month. That should be somewhat of a catalyst. But I'll just say this, you know, the Bitcoin dominance of the space is at its lowest levels in a very long time. And I just don't think that bodes very well. Guy's been saying it. It's going to take a Fed pivot for Bitcoin to get going. I don't think that's coming in 2022. Yeah, a Fed pivot and, and also, again, a some type of completely eradicating a lot of the speculation in the market. I'm not sure we've entirely seen it. I also just bring up the fact that uh, gold, which was the first Bitcoin out there, the old store of value, um, 
around 1700, getting near essentially a low that really would then mark if that breakthrough of that. And again, the impact where gold is supposed to be saving you during difficult times. Uh, it's been puzzling. Do you believe in coincidence? I know you don't, because I know Steve doesn't, because he's as wacky as I am. So I don't think it's coincidental, Mel, that Bitcoin topped out in November-ish, around the same time that the Fed finally got religion. And when Bitcoin did rally over the last month or so, it coincided with this misguided belief that somehow the Fed was, in fact, pivoting, which they're not doing. So the sell-off, to me, is a belief that this Fed means business. If you believe this Fed is going to blink, which I don't, then Bitcoin goes higher from here. But I don't think they will. You, you, can't, you can't buy growth. This is not the time to be speculating in growth. This is not the time to be buying Bitcoin. You want to be a buyer of value in a rising rate environment. And until otherwise, until... But why, can I ask the question, why, why are there so many the equations? I, I you, can ask you, whatever you ask all the questions I here. want, so, in fact. Yes, yeah. boss. You're in charge. Uh, but why is there an equation being made between Bitcoin and a tech stock? Or Bitcoin and tech stock? Because it's why speculative. there be? Because, because it's speculative. Once, and it's growth. Because, uh, Okay. So it's speculative and it's growth, and people don't look at it as a source of value. What is the value? What's the fundamental reason behind buying Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies? You, it's a growth sector of yeah. the of the economy and the markets. No, I, I think that's fair. I, I think when we when we started out with the Bitcoin trade, we were certainly talking about this in high spec territory. Uh, on some level, you can see where Bitcoin and Bitcoin advocates will point out the limited supply and that actually there, there aren't unlimited Bitcoins and that that should create a store of value dynamic. But until proven otherwise, it's not a reserve currency. It's not used in commerce. Right. It's used basically to speculate. Coming up this fall. This fall, McDonald's is going retro. The fast food chain bringing back a sweet treat from the 1980s. What is that? Mm. Ew. What they're baking up, plus your final trades next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pumpkin spice lovers, step aside. There is a pastry party happening at McDonald's. The fast food chain bringing back its cheese Danish menu offering, a fall treat they originally served in the 1980s. Do you remember this Danish guy? Yeah, I do. If you're ordering a Danish at McDonald's, you're failing at life. Not failing. Ah, that's, aggr- that's, no. that's, that's, what? So that's a leap. That's aggressive, man. Okay, I fine. Mean, if you're ordering a pumpkin, anything, anywhere, you're failing at life. I agree oh, with that. Good. All right. On the pumpkin spice. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. XLE. You're not failing there. It's down 8% here, and I think bounces up that 74 50 day. Grasso. Stem, but do not buy it tomorrow. S-T-E-M. It's up $1.50 today. Give it a little breathing room. Dan from Code. Yeah, snap. If a Delaware court says Twitter is worth $43 billion, then this thing is way too cheap. That would be snap, in my opinion. Guy. You're a Dr. Seuss fan? Yes. Dr. Horton, here's a who. (laughs) T-H-I, Melms. (laughs) Thank you all for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow night at 5. Meantime, don't go anywhere. A special two-hour News with Shepard Smith starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.